0: Hello and a warm welcome back to Marked Out for Fruitfulness, as tonight we follow Jesus as his ministry changes slightly. It's becoming clear that Jesus is increasingly unwelcome in synagogues, and so he takes to the streets, well not streets as we know it, but to the paths and footways, and we travel with him tonight as he walks along in Capernaum. Let's pick up a story in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It isn't the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, let's notice a few things. As you know, we're trailing through this gospel, looking for hints as to how to be more effective at following Jesus Christ. And we hit, really, a very delightful story tonight, which is all about Jesus and Levi. Perhaps it's difficult for us so many years later to catch the shock of what went on that day but preachers are not shy of telling us that it would have been a very unusual encounter for Levi who sat at the seat of custom in Capernaum which was a kind of crossroads between two territories owned by or governed at least by uh, different uh, brothers of the Herodian empire. And there was a kind of tax as you went from one territory to the other, a congestion charge if you like. And it obviously all taxes are not popular and this one was just as unpopular as any and perhaps resented even more because it only fairly recently started to be imposed. And one can only assume that Levi collected a fair amount of abuse throughout the day. No one's ever thanked a tax collector, I imagine. And then comes Jesus. And there's this dynamic exchange of kindness and love and hope. And Jesus says to him, come and follow me. And immediately, immediately he does. And I think there are a number of lessons for us disciples as we consider this. They're not complicated to see, but they might be difficult to obey. The first one is this. I think we're foolhardy if we try and predict who Jesus will call into his kingdom, because you can't predict it. And it it was evidently shocking to those onlookers that Jesus should have chosen this tax collector. But he does, but he does. And then the second thing I, I we need to notice is the radical obedience of Levi. Without hesitation he gets up and he leaves behind his day job and he follows Jesus. William Barclay is very observant as he points out, surely this was the most costly decision of all the disciples. The fishermen you see could always resume their career and go back to fishing. But for Levi, there would be no turning back. This was absolutely surrendering everything. And I think one of the lessons I've seen so often is that delay invites disaster. I think it's far more common and it's something you can discuss in small groups, that when people delay from radical obedience, they never actually get round to it. That there's always another reason to put off following Jesus Christ. Whereas those who obey without delay bear so much fruit. I was thinking to the small number of Christians who have biographies written about them and had they not obeyed right at the beginning my goodness they'd have lost out. We'd have lost out. Jackie Pullinger going to Hong Kong. The great cricketer C.T. Studd going off to Africa, ultimately, and so many others. At the end of this talk, I'm going to tell you a little story about some friends of mine and how their obedience bore fruit. There's a shocking verse, actually, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, which goes like this, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. In other words, what Jonah is saying, is if you cling on to the known and what you trust in now at the expense of obedience to Christ, you will never know what God could have done through you. And had Levi clung on to the tax collector's booth, he would never have known the joy and fulfilment of following Christ. Well, moving on from that, Mark now highlights a number of areas which you could call tales of contention And they have in common this, the onlookers looking at Jesus, they completely failed to understand what was going on in front of them. And at the heart of the reason why, it was because their expectation of how they thought God should act just wasn't matched by the way Jesus really did act. And I notice that if Jesus was misunderstood like this and criticized like this, Perhaps we, when we're obedient to him, we should expect a fair amount of criticism and misunderstanding also to come our way. If he was pushed to the margins, are we surprised if we're pushed to the margins? I'm not sure we should be. Jesus' choice of companions gets him into trouble here, doesn't it? What is this fellow doing mixing with tax collectors and sinners? Quite hard for us to think of an equivalent group to tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners. Apparently that word, sinners, William Barclay says again, this was a kind of underclass, the kind of people that didn't bother to learn up what the scribes spent their day learning up, which was not just the Torah, but the additional rules that came with it. And they were sinners because they were simply unaware of all the many things that they could have been doing and should have been doing according to the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, Jesus spends time with them and chooses to party with them, as he does in Matthew's house. And the onlookers are scornful. Why does he do this? Well, I can tell you exactly why he does it. Because he loves them. Jesus will keep any company because he loves all company. That is to say, he loves all people. Actually, I think I've more often heard this record played in my day, the other way around. A certain sort of surprise that anyone who is successful and famous and made their mark could be a Christian. Well, why not, if they too will pick up their cross and follow Jesus? You can't predict, it seems to me, who Jesus will call to him. And, and it's foolhardy in asking for trouble to try. He loves, He loves these people and that's why without prejudice he'll spend time with them. And if we think that this kind of uh, behaviour of deciding who should be allowed in God's company and who shouldn't, if we think that's um, gone out with the ark, we're wrong. It's quite current actually to read of how, for example, uh, the Windrush generation arriving in this country found themselves ostracised from the white Anglican churches. There was literally no place for them. And uh, such was the pain they had to form, they felt they had to form, their own worshipping communities. Oh, ouch, to see that this is replicated so close to home. Well, let's move on, and we'll see that the next story is about fasting. Let me read from verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of a bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they'll fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Well, what's, what's going on here? The question of fasting... Well, the disciples uh, come up for criticism because the Pharisees and scribes can see it's just not something they're doing. And yet John the Baptist's uh, disciples were doing it. And it was seen as an outward sign of godliness. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, um, just don't judge by outward appearances. There will be a day for fasting, yes, but not now. This is a day of celebration. And he picks a picture of what went on in those days before weddings. Apparently, they had a whole week of celebration. It might be the celebration of a lifetime. And uh, you invited your friends and you really parted. And it was appropriate, this was a done deal. And Jesus says, when I'm around, this is a done deal. This is what should be happening. There will be a time when fasting will be appropriate, but that's not for now. And then he comes at them with the picture of new wine and new wineskins. And and I don't think this is difficult to understand as as it's told here. Apparently wine had to be poured into new wineskins because then the wineskins were subtle and they had given them. And as the wine matured and expanded, so the new calfskin or whatever it was, also had give in it and it could change shape. But if you used old last year's wineskins, they would have hardened. And as the wine matured and expanded, it met all over the place. And what Jesus is saying peculiarly apt is, if you put structures in place that have no give in them, when God starts to move, if you're just looking for the old structures to work, the old ways to be repeated, you might miss altogether what's going on. And do you know he's right? Every revival that has happened in the history of a church, the people who enjoyed yesterday's revival are very often the ones that contested the new move of God. The Christian author John White, commenting on a move of the Spirit, wrote this To recognize a divine visitation, we must view it through the twin eyes of discernment and humility. It's easy to recognize it in books or in retrospect. To recognize it when it occurs is so much more difficult. Then he says during the revivals of the past 300 years many Christians were too confused by their wrong expectations to perceive what God was doing. And so firm were some some of their rejections, I suppose they wouldn't have believed even have the dead returned to life. And I'm afraid that's true. People are put off by all sorts of external things, by the music which is either too loud or too soft or too repetitious or too banal. Or they're put off by the fact that someone calls for an altar call and that's not in their tradition. Or they're put off because the speaker has tattoos on his arm. Or they're put off because of a part of a well that this thing happens in. But what's the fruit? Are people coming to Christ? Is godliness being exhibited? There's something that this Pharisees were, some things they were clinging to, signs they wanted to see and other signs they didn't want to see, which made it hard for them to perceive that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. I I said I would end with a story, a true story, and I'd like to. I'd like to tell you about two friends who are actually members of St. Michael's, but to spare their blushes, I'm not going to give you their names. They left some time ago, and um, they now live in America. And the man, who I shall call Robert, that's not his name, he came to visit Liz and me when we were living in Cambridge some years ago, and we asked him, tell us an encouraging story. We'd love to hear of what God's up to. And as he sat at our kitchen table over breakfast, he told me this story, or asked this story. And we could see he was struggling whether to share this with us or not. as will become apparent, as I tell you. And he said that he worshipped in a very small church. At that time, it was in Oklahoma. He said it only had 11 people in it. And um, they were joined one day by a man whose real name was James. And I'm going to call him James because it doesn't give anything away. And James was a pastor's son in India. He joined this community and um, he told them about the work of his father. His father was doing, leading a small group of church pastors in a very poor part of India. And he asked my friend, who I'm calling Robert, if he'd like to accompany him on a trip to India. And actually, my friend did do that. And following this, they had a gift day, which I think having a gift day when you're a church of 11 or 12 is pretty courageous. Well, my friend sat in the car park on the day of a gift day, husband and wife team, and they asked each other, have you prayed about what we should give to this? And to their absolute amazement, um, the same figure came to both of them. And perhaps because he's in finance, he recognized the significance of this figure. It was, I, th- I believe, it was his entire pension provision at that time. And as he was telling us his story, he physically started to shake and tears came down his cheeks. And it was obviously the Holy Spirit moving. And what he said to us was, I'm so pleased we were obedient that day. I'm so pleased we were obedient that day. And he said, I hate to think of a blessing we would have missed had we not been. He said, I've had the joy now over many years, certainly over a decade, of seeing over, get this, over a hundred churches planted from that one church. And we've been out there so many times and we have seen, the amazing thing that God has been able to do and is still doing and he said just imagine Rupert had we not been obedient that day what we would have missed out on and he said I tremble to think about it but I rejoice I've been able to be part of it when God says to you to do something say yes and discover the riches that obedience can bring I hope you have a good time in small groups Here are the questions that I have for us today. Do you agree that we can't predict who Jesus will call to follow him? Do you have any tales of the unexpected? Second question, delaying a decision to obey Christ increases the chance you won't follow. Obedience, however, releases a reward. What examples can we share of either of these? And what encouragement can we give one another that will help us to obey Jesus without hesitation.